0: Today's reading is taken from Isaiah, reading from chapter 44, verses 6 to 23. This is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what will come. Do not tremble, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock, I know not one. All who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a God and casts an idol who can profit nothing? People who do that will be put to shame. Such craftsmen are only human beings. Let them all come together and take their stand they will be brought down to terror and shame. The blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it in human form, human form in all its glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. He cuts down cedars, or perhaps takes a cypress or oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest, or planted a pine and the rain made it grow. He used it as fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself, He kindles a fire and bakes bread. But he also fashions a God and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire, over it he prepares his meal, he roasts his meat and he eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, ah, I am warm, I see the fire. From the rest he makes a God, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, save me, you are my God. They know nothing, they understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see and their minds closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Such a person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? Remember these things, Jacob. For you, Israel, are my servants. I have made you, you are my servants, Israel. I will not forget you. I have swept away your offences like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing for joy, you heavens, for the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, you earth beneath. Burst into song, you mountains, you forests and all your trees, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob. He displays his glory in Israel. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Shadow for reading. And uh, good morning, everyone, and welcome again. My name is Andrew. If we've not met, I'm the curate here at St. Helens, part of the team. Well, we're going to take a look at that passage, um, Isaiah 44. If you happen to have a Bible with you, um, keep it open to follow along. But if not, don't worry, I'll read the verses as I go. Let's pray before we start. Father God, thank you for your great goodness to us, that in this world you don't leave us wandering, blind and helpless, as we've just been reading, but you have spoken to us. You've spoken to us in your word, and you've spoken to us in your Son. And we pray now, as we stop and think, that you would enlighten our eyes, help us to see ourselves and our world rightly. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, just move this. ...out of the way. So the American author, um, David Foster Wallace, um, who died in 2008 um, at the young age of 46, was one of the most influential writers of his generation. I don't know if you've read any of his work, but every subject to which he turned his hand, he did so beautifully, whether it was the influence of uh, television on modern culture, how much he hated cruise holidays, the tennis of Roger Federer, or the Maine Lobster Festival. It was wonderful writing, incredibly engaging, more so than you could think some of those subjects would be. And supposedly an atheist, it makes these words that he wrote even more striking. He said these uh, when he addressed a group of students at their graduation in 2005. He said this, in the day-to-day trenches, of adult life, there is no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what we worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual-type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, he says, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. If you worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, then you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally put you in the ground. Worship power. You will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart. You will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the edge of being found out. These forms of worship are unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever fully being aware that that's what you're doing. Well, as you look around our world, is he not undeniably right? Wallace understood that our addictions to fame, power, beauty and wealth were idols. Replacing a transcendent, ultimate source of devotion with the finite, limited things of this world. Taking often good, but limited things and making them into ultimate things, making them into everything. A couple of weeks ago in Isaiah 41, when we started thinking about idols, Steve pointed out that in our modern age, non-God idols are Very often, good things. That is, we seek in things that are not God. This is the problem. We seek in things that are not God. That which we should only seek in God. Security, satisfaction, significance. Last week, if you remember, if you were here, um, we asked ourselves this diagnostic question. What is your default way to finish the sentence, it will be okay because... And however we finish that sentence reveals one or more of our functional saviors. This week's diagnostic question focuses more on satisfaction and significance. Last week's was more on security. This week more on satisfaction and significance. What is your default way to finish this sentence? I will be happy when... I will be happy if... How do you finish that sentence? I'll be happy when I reach my target weight or body shape. I'll be happy when I earn 50K a year or 100K a year or a million a year. I'll be happy when I make partner, when my team wins the league, when we have complete family harmony, when I drive a Jaguar, get a PlayStation 5, get an iPhone 12. I'll be happy when I can buy that little house in the country. I'll be happy when my kids get a place at university, at a good university, get a first at a good university. Because are these not the idols all around us in our culture? Are these not the things in which people all around us invest their time and energy and emotion These are the things on which people stake their happiness. And are they not so often the things in which we invest our time and our energy, upon which we stake our happiness? And I think we do so because as we look around, the worship of these things, money, career, sex, power, education, looks like it's working for those who've worshipped effectively, for those who've done well on that particular measuring stick. And for Isaiah's audience, it would have looked the same. Remember the context, Isaiah chapters 40 to 46, written for a time when the Israelites have been taken as captives and they are now in the enemy city of Babylon. And as they look around the city in which they find themselves, there is evidence of worship everywhere, idols of wood and stone and gold. Temples to Nebo, Bel, Anu, Marduk, Tiamat, and so many more. And it was those around them, their captors, the worshippers of those gods, who were the powerful ones, the successful ones. After all, they've defeated Israel and taken them off to captivity. Where did Israel get to by worshipping their god? The Babylonians are rich and powerful and influential. The Israelites are poor and weak and unknown and despised. And where is their God? As they walk around, the Israelites can see the Babylonian God. Some of them very beautiful. Gold, silver, precious stones. But they can't see their own God. Is he even there? What is the point of worshipping him? And so, in such a situation, it would be natural to think that these gods, the gods of the nation that has captured you, the gods that are all around you, must be more powerful than your god. They must be better gods. And knowing his people perfectly, God says through Isaiah to his people, forget that idea completely. Don't imagine that there is a great battle going on in the heavens between me and the other gods, and they've won. Or they've got the upper hand for a while. No, verse 6 of our passage. This is what the Lord says I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened. And then down to the end of verse 8. Is there any God besides me? There is no rock besides me. I know not one. And of those around them, the Babylonians who build these seemingly impressive idols, God says, verse 9, All who make idols are nothing. The things they treasure are worthless. Why? Because how can a human being make a God? That's the big thing that runs through all of this passage. These other gods are made, made by human hands. Verse 10, Isaiah asks almost in kind of incredulity, how could anyone think such a stupid thing? Who shapes a god and casts an idol? People who do that will be put to shame. Such craftsmen are only human beings. How can a human make a god? And then Isaiah takes us backwards through the construction process for an idol. He begins with the end, the plating of the idol with metal, then going back to carving the idol, then going back to the tree from which the wood was cut. So we see the blacksmith smelting the precious metals and hammering them out. But as he does so, he gets tired because he hasn't eaten or drunk enough. And Isaiah is saying, how ridiculous. If the blacksmith gets tired when he's making a god... How can the hen turn around to that God and ask him for strength or success in battle or whatever it is? We see the carpenter carefully cutting the wood into the shape of a human being. Why human being? Well, what else is the pinnacle of creation? Indeed, human beings are the pinnacle of God's creation, made in his image. How good of us to return the favour and make God's in our image? We go back further and we see the carpenter selecting a tree to make the shape of the idol, a tree that has grown in the forest from the rain sent from heaven by the one true God who lives in heaven and is not made by human hands. How then can that carpenter bow down and ask this bit of wood, this tree, to send rain for his crops? And then in the final bitingly sarcastic passage... Sarcasm, sarcasm, not always the lowest form of wit. We see that the carpenter had chopped his bit of wood in half, used half of it to cook his dinner, and the other half to make his idol. Verse 17, from the rest he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships, he prays to it and says, save me, you are my god. Commenting on this in verse 19, Isaiah says, no one stops to think, No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? It's as if Isaiah is saying, lucky he chose the right half. Good thing he didn't accidentally burn the God half and then make a God out of the bit that was good for fuel. How stupid can you be, thinking that you can make a God out of wood and metal. How stupid to worship something that has been made into human image, made of raw materials given to us by the one true God. How stupid to worship something made by the strength of human hands and the ingenuity of human minds, to worship something from wood or stone or metal like an idol or a statue or a little cottage in the country or a beautiful car, a playstation, an iPhone. To worship something made in human likeness, to say, I'll be happy when my body image matches the body image of my idols on Instagram or YouTube or in vogue. To find my significance, my satisfaction, my security in the performance of my football team or the educational performance of my children or my perfect picture, perfect family. Because here's the thing, God doesn't just hate idolatry because it steals glory that is due only to Him. God hates idols because they ruin our lives, because God loves us. When we choose idols, we choose bondage over blessing. Verse 20, such a person feeds on ashes, a deluded heart misleads him, he cannot save himself or say, is not this thing, this God that I hold in my right hand, is this not a lie? And look how exhausting this idol worship is. The blacksmith, the carpenter, slaving away in the forge, the forest and the workshop, making sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, bowing down, afraid to stop, just in case your God is disappointed, never knowing if you have done enough because the God needs more and more and more. That is what it was like to worship idols then. That is what it is like to worship idols now. They are never satisfied. There's never enough. They take and they take and they take. And for what? And Isaiah says, the problem is no one stops to think. If I reach my target weight or body shape, well, then what about a reach when I reach an age where that's no longer feasible? Or the culture's body shape image changes? Or I discover someone who's fitter than me or thinner than me? You can never be thin enough, never be good-looking enough. What happens if I earn 50k a year? Will that be enough? Well, probably not, because then I'll get into circles where people earn 100k a year, then I move in circles where people earn 200 or 500 or a million or 5 million or 10 million. J.D. Rockefeller, one of the richest men of all time, was once asked, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. What happens if I make partner, but I've sacrificed my family along the way? What happens if my team wins the league this year, but then loses next year? Are they going to win every year, every year, every year? We have complete family harmony, but then one argument and that breaks me. Because if that's my idol, if that's where I'm looking for my satisfaction, then one little argument means my idol has failed. I haven't done enough. Every idol fails. So what can we do? Tim Keller, in his brilliant book, which I would recommend, called Counterfeit Gods, he says, when we realize that our idols fail us, there are three natural human responses. One is, blame the things that are disappointing you and try to move on to better ones. Kind of like what we were just thinking of. 50,000 wasn't enough, but maybe 100,000 will. That wasn't enough, so maybe 500,000 will. But that is just the way of continued spiritual addiction. Okay, we say, well, things... I realise that things are an idol for me and they won't be enough, so then I'll chase minimalism. But how little is enough? When the clutter comes back, that god fails you as well. It's just a new idol. So bad option one, blame the things that are disappointing. You find better gods. Bad option two, blame yourself and beat yourself up. I should be happy. I should be satisfied with what I've got. But that is the way to self-loathing and shame. Or option three, blame the world, become cynical, and think nothing can ever be good enough, nothing can ever satisfy, shrink away from the world, make no emotional attachments, and just reduce yourself away, hide. Or, or, if we realise we are being controlled by an idol, we can turn from the idol, confess our sins, confess our idolatry, Reorientate our life around the love of Christ, not an idol who takes from us, but the Son of God who loved us and died for us. We can't deliver ourselves, says He cannot save Himself, but there is a solution to idolatry, and we find it in the final two verses of our passage. Remember, return. And rejoice. Remember, return, and rejoice. Verse 21. Isaiah says, God says through Isaiah, Remember these things, Jacob, for you, Israel, are my servant. I have made you. You are my servant, Israel. I will not forget you. And the end of verse 22. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. That word redemption is a word from the language of slavery. So in ancient Israel if a family member had fallen on hard times and sold themselves into slavery just so they'd have a roof over their heads and food to eat, then you could free them by paying the redemption price. And God says to us, that is what I have done for you. You are my people. And to the ancient Israelites, God said, I have redeemed you. Remember, I rescued you from Egypt. You were slaves. You could not save yourselves. And I redeemed you through the blood of a lamb. I brought you out from that land. And we, likewise, are enslaved naturally to idolatry, to sin, to the things of this world. And God says if you've put your trust in me, remember, I have redeemed you. I have brought you out by the blood of the perfect Lamb of God who has died in your place. Not return to me and return with enough emphasis, with enough force of heart, with enough intention, with enough sacrifices to me that I will then redeem you. But remember, because in the Lord Jesus Christ, I have redeemed you. Worldly gods can never satisfy. They want more, more, more. The one true God has redeemed us. Not more, 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 but the cry of Jesus Christ at the cross it is finished. Not the will I ever be satisfied, will I ever be known, will I ever be loved, but verse 21 I will never forget you. Remember and then return. Verse 22. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist, return to me, for I have redeemed you. Repent of your idolatry, that is. Turn, return, turn from those idols, turn back to me. I have redeemed you, you are mine. Remember, return, and lastly, rejoice. The idolaters in the passage bowed down to the trees of the forest and hear the trees of the forest. The creation itself is called upon to rejoice in God's rescue. Verse 23, sing for joy, you heavens, for the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, you earth beneath. Burst into song, you mountains, you forests and all your trees, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob. He displays his glory in Israel. It is hard to remain enslaved to our idols when we are rejoicing in what God has done for us. There is no better solution for seeking after idols than rejoicing in the one true God when we remember what He has done. This is what we need to believe. If we have God, we have all we need. Our past, forgiven. Our future, secure. I will be okay because God loves me and I have the promise of an eternity beyond death with no mourning or crying or pain and with the One who loves us forever, I will be okay. And in the present, a Father who loves me and works all things for my good, I will be, I can be happy because I know I have a Father who loves me, who is on my side and works all things for my good, and therefore, it is right that we would say that we would sing praise my soul the king of heaven that's gonna be our final song of course we can't sing but i would encourage you actually sort of a, a prescription of praise even if this isn't your normal habit maybe this week find a song that fills your heart with joy that song that andrew sang for us earlier "O lord my rock And my Redeemer, picking up two of the ideas from the passage, the Lord is our only rock, the only firm foundation on which to build. And the Lord is our Redeemer. And find a place where you can be undisturbed, get it up on YouTube and sing it out loud. We can't sing out loud this morning. Steve uh, will sing and Mark will play, Praise My Soul, The King of Heaven. But find an opportunity this week to praise the God who has redeemed us.